Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I'm excited to have today one of my friends. Um, he is uh, a dear friend of mine that I've known since I was in my 20s, and his name is Julio Pelayo, and he is also known as $20 Julio. Okay, um, we'll get, we're going to talk about that. Um, and the reason why he's on this podcast today. Um, Julio, actually, I've known him for a long time, like I said. And one of the things that has always impressed me about him is the fact that he has taken his passion for music to a whole different level. And he's here to talk about it Um on his regular days, if you will, his regular job, he's actually a sales and marketing manager for Stone Pro Stone, and he's been there for quite some time. It's been over 16 years, but that's not the reason why I have him here today with us. I wanted him to come to us and tell us a little bit more about music and what he has done. And um, and how basically the industry is changing and evolving, and he's been able to adapt with that. And he's known as $20 Julio, <laughs> and we've gone into so many conversations in regards to music. And, um, you know, what he does is more than DJing. Um, he actually does a lot of mixes and production and sound engineering and so we're going to talk about that and dive really deeply in there so without further ado this is julio hello 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 amigas and welcome to amiga handle your shit podcast how exciting that i get to see my friend i haven't seen him in a while and you're gonna love him um, he's got a lot of tips 
when it comes to music. And his name is Julio Pelayo. He's also known as $20 Julio. And we're going to really dive really deep as to why he is $20 Julio. Um, he is not only a wonderful friend of mine and, a, and obviously of my husband because they grew up together. And so he's going to give us a brief synopsis about um, his uh, familial history, where he's from. But more, more and more, I want you all know to know about him and what he does, which is he uh, he mixes music, he uh, is in music production, he's a sound engineer, and he's also a DJ. So I am so excited to have him here. Another man in our pod, which is amazing because I know amigas out there love to hear a male perspective. And so um, I really thought, oh, let's have him come and talk to us about music. So without further ado, Julio, how are you? Welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I'm doing great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. I, you know what, Julio? I've been checking you out on Instagram, of course, and I was like, he would be a great addition to have him come on Amiga Handlership because, you know, what you're doing is fascinating. And I think that Amigas would really enjoy learning more about what you do and how they can actually be involved in music production and sound engineering and DJing. So please, please tell, tell my listeners how, how this all started. Where are you from? You're from LA because I have people listening from all over the world, so I don't want I want them to get a little bit of perspective of where you're from. Well, I grew up in Southgate, which is what about ten miles, what's west east of LA, and no, yeah, east southeast of LA, okay. and uh, yeah, grew up there. Went to Southgate High, and that's where you know I became friends with a lot of mutual friends of ours including your husband. I mean, he was uh, a little older. You know, I was the, I was one of the younger ones. Right. Uh, but it all started there. I mean, he was actually uh, an assistant coach on my football team once he graduated. So actually, I didn't know that. I yeah. knew that he was yeah. like coaching, but I had no idea that he, yeah. that he was your, your the assistant coach for, for your team. <laughs> Yeah, I believe I think I was a freshman when they were when him, Herman, and everyone else they were seniors. And then, uh, yeah, when I was a sophomore playing football, he was coaching him and the guy, which is, yeah, got some stories about that. But that's a whole different conversation. But yeah, I grew right. up in I grew up in Southgate, and uh, most of my life there between Southgate and going back and forth, we moved around a lot. My parents, uh, uh, we didn't they didn't own a house; we rented. Uh, so. You know, in hindsight, you look back and you're like, oh, that's why we moved around. We just I just thought that was a normal thing in life. You know, as a young, naive kid, it's like, OK, we're moving three years. I like it here. I like this school. Luckily, they would always keep we would always they would always do their best to keep us in the same school. Right. So I didn't jump around schools. I always went to Southgate Junior High and Southgate High School. And um, so, yeah, that's where. Um, that's where where I met most of the people that you also know. And that's when I got into, I actually got into music at a very young age. I think I was, I was in the fourth grade. So I was, when I bought my first record and that was in, 
obviously I, eventually I'm going to date myself. Right. But that was like, like 84. <laughs> it's easy to remember what year I was in. Cause like the, the number of the year mirrored my actual age. So in 82, I was in the second grade In 83, I was in third grade. So my first purchase was in, in 84, it was a run DMC record and all this stuff came about. And, uh, if you ever look into, or, or re do more research as to who influences for DJs were back in those days, it's not like nowadays where you have, you know, uh, endless resources where you can, it's so saturated with, with, with content, right? You go on YouTube and there's like whatever topic on DJing or production you want to look for, you'll find endless amount of content. Uh, not the case back then, you know, it was like, there's a D there's a performance on the Grammys and there's the DJ that, that's actually making the sound that we hear on the radio. And it's like, it was just so fascinating that, um, you know, as a kid, you're intrigued by stuff. You, every, every kid is curious, right? Mm -hmm. But when you, when you're at that age, when you start becoming impressionable, uh, whether it be with music or with other influences around you, I happened to be in a position where not only was I gravitating towards music, but a lot of the neighborhood kids were on the same boat as I was. Not that they all got into DJing, but we were all getting into Run DMC and the Beastie Boys and and uh, listening to that. Uh, it was 1580 K-Day back then, which is a very... Um, it was an AM radio station at the end of the dial. You had to be lucky where you put the reception because it was so staticky. I don't know if you ever listened to that, but yes, K Day. Uh, yes, I do. I remember. And they and used to break. They used to break a lot of records, not just local records. They used to like a lot of music that you and I listen to now. That, and unless you've asked someone, you would think that it originated in the West Coast, but it really didn't. I'm talking about like high energy music. Um, you know, like Stevie B and stuff like that. That's all like Miami music that was brought over by DJs that were bringing music and just breaking it into different markets at that time. And they actually blew up more here in, in our region, more than they did in the regions where they actually come from. Right. right and right. Uh, so that was like early on. That's what that's, uh, you know, that's what kind of started everything. I was fortunate to live next door to my neighbor was an actual DJ. So every time he'd be coming home from parties, I'd see him like bringing in the equipment when they would practice, he would turn on his equipment in his backyard. And I was always the nosy kid looking over the, the window and it just became, you know, it got to the point where I started going over there. He started bringing me over that turned into him taking me to some of his gigs and gigs back then at that age, she was taking me to weddings, quinceañeras, <laughs> you know, neighborhood house parties. So nothing, yeah, house parties. Yep. <laughs> yeah, nothing extravagant at that point, but that's when I started like, you know, I guess that was the very beginning of paying my dues as far as carrying equipment, learning the ins and outs of speaker placement and making sure you have your wires and everything that you have your checklist. Cause there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Even you know, back then by those standards where, where technology was very limited, not anywhere near where it is today. Oh and not just God, the no. technology, but the portability <laughs> element of it too. I mean, you needed a truck, if not a, a U-Haul to actually do a real party back then. Whereas to now, I was just talking about this to one of my friends, you could actually load up a, a Honda Civic if you wanted to and be able to actually do 
an event that with good sound quality. So times yeah. have changed. So oh, for sure. <laughs> so that's that's that the early part. Um, you know, fast forward, and then I I got my own set of equipment. My dad, you know, bought me. I didn't want any more toys. I didn't want any bikes. I I got my first cheap turntable and the first mixer. And and I find I'd say the story to to a lot of family because uh, I convinced my brother. Uh, this is when I knew I I, I had a feature in sales. <laughs> I convi- <laughs> I convinced him to sell our Nintendo at the time, telling him you don't we don't need the Nintendo. Even back then I was like, well, what's that gonna do? It's not gonna do anything for us. I'm like, let's sell it. We'll get the second turntable and we'll be able to make money. And if it doesn't work out for you, if you don't like it, then then I'll make money and be able to buy you another Nintendo. So. <laughs> I don't think that part ever happened, but uh, we did sell the Nintendo, so I bought my first full set of uh, cheap turntables. But you know, that's, that's so yeah. cool. And, and here's the thing, um, Julio. I don't know. It seems like your family was actually very supportive, because back then, I mean, they would have been at least if it was my family, would be like, "Are you crazy? What? No, como quieres? I'm not gonna buy you that." Like, were they really supportive from the yeah. from the yeah. get go? You know, it's funny you phrase it that way because there was a lot of, uh, yes, they've always been supportive, but I don't think a lot of it was like conscious support or with intention. It's not Mm -hmm. like they said, oh, my son is doing this and I think this is where it's going to go. So I'm going to put all my support behind him so he can get there because everything was undefined. It was just kind of like where I was steering towards. And, you know, my parents, you know, uh, um, you know, both of them are still alive. And yes, they were supportive in the sense that they that they uh, never steered me away from it. They never said, mm-hmm. why are you doing this? Uh, the closest thing to not being supportive was telling me to turn on the music every night when I'd be, you know, just practicing stuff. Because, yeah, you yeah. know, that's that's the part that, you know, a lot of people don't understand. It's like you see a lot of these. DJ routines or or even music production. It takes hours and hours and hours and hours of endless practice to fine tune something to actually make it seem easy to the masses. Like that's when you know you got something when when you make it look easy, right? And you can't just yeah. do that by practicing a few hours here and there. You really got to be dedicated to it. And you know, even my wife, it's like, I, I, it gets to the point where I have to like shut the speakers down and do everything in the headphones because it can get annoying if you're not immersed in it. In the <laughs> right. details. You're just hearing the same thing coming over and over. And, and like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm working on. I know what I'm trying to nail. And, but to the people outside, it doesn't, it just sounds like a bunch of ruckus. So in that sense, that was the only, um, uh, that was the only uh, non-supportive element that, uh, <laughs> from my, excuse me, from my parents. But they they were supportive in the sense that I said, "Hey, I, this is what I want." So I, you know, we we I grew up. I don't want to say poor, but we were. My parents weren't well off. You know, we they were hard work. My dad worked two jobs, sometimes even three jobs. My mom worked as well. So I need the value of money and it wasn't easy to find stuff at an early age. So they knew, I, I guess they, you know, I, I commend them for understanding that I, I would still ask for what I asked knowing that it was within reason. Mm. I, I wasn't, uh, you know, there's kids nowadays that are, you know, five years old and give me 
get any phone. It's like, hold on. Yeah. And it's like, there's, there's a, uh, yeah, there's a sense of entitlement nowadays that, and it has to do a lot with, with, with social media and just the, the lack of awareness. Um, but they were supportive in that sense to answer your, you know, to make your long story short. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Um, I know that it takes 10,000 hours to become a master of your trade. So I'm sure you've way surpassed, surpassed the 10,000 mark, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can say that. I actually tried to do the math a long time. It's hard to pay for many hours. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of my early adulthood, while people were out, while friends were out, you know, partying, I would prefer to stay home. And I wasn't staying home, screwing around, just laying around. I was like, I, I wanted to stay home to do music when my when my wife has something that comes up and she says, I'm gonna go have dinner with the girls. Is it okay? Go. It's like, <laughs> I'm a, you know, the kids over here. It's like, have fun. Have fun. Yeah. yeah. yeah and the kids. I know I, I get an extra couple hours here doing what I've been, you know, hoping Working to find on. time to do. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, okay. So now, I mean, you're finding time to, um, to make music. What, what kinds of things are you working on right now? Well, right now it's, uh, so I started DJing and DJing led into me dabbling into music production. Um, I was in, I was part of a rap group in, uh, in high school that one of the members was associated with Cypress Hill. So mm -hmm. that exposed me to a lot of the behind the scenes on how the record industry really worked. And because as you know, Cypress Hill is a very, you know, they're a very highly successful rap group that came up in the 90s and they're actually still touring. But, you know, that they, they came out like in late 91, 92, and, and they, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're still touring. So we went to a lot of their shows. I've been fortunate enough to be in a lot of the studio sessions when they would be recording music um, and to be given a lot of information firsthand from people in that circle, which a lot of that information, you know, not all of it is great. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's easy to fall in love and think you want to do something based on the pre presentation you see on TV, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's like this, like, like, like your podcast. Like, people don't understand all the, all the hours of preparation that it takes just to get ready for a one-hour interview. There's, there's a lot of commitment and a lot of time that needs to be carved out out of your day in order to, uh, to make it happen. Same thing with the record industry. There's a lot of stuff that you have to give up uh, in order to make a living doing that type of stuff. And there's, you know, there's only so many successful groups that can actually make a living, a good living out of making music, mm -hmm. uh, especially back then. But, but, you know, they're selling the dream, right? And it's, it's, you know, and, and, and it's an art form. And if that's something you want to pursue more power to you, but if you get exposed to uh, the bad side of it, and I won't get into too much of that, uh, but you know, there's always a, there's always pros and cons to everything. There was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, stuff that would detour a lot of people from, from, pursuing anything in that in that industry just because it's so competitive and um but nevertheless the uh aside from the that's i guess what planted the seed in my head to always have your business uh element 
in line. You don't want the business part of it to, to, to be the reason why you do it. But if you're actually going to pursue it to the point where, where you want to monetize it, you have to know what you're doing and what you're getting into to not sell yourself short and to, uh, and, and, and to maximize on, on, you know, the, the, the potential that you can get from your talents. Right. And it, and it's obviously that sounds a bit cliche, but it's, it's, I, I got a chance to see what not to do and what, what I should do. So dabbling in music production during that time, uh, that's one of the good things I got out of it. Cause I actually witnessed one of my favorite producers of all time. I witnessed him. I saw his technique. I, I, I just, you know, I just saw like a lot of stuff that you would never think takes place as far as how the, the process of laying down an actual or creating a song from scratch, uh, whether it's original or from sampling music and making it sound original. I, I got a lot of insight during that time. So, and that's where the name came from too. It was uh, being in the rap group when we would be recording our demos. Uh, I, I was in charge of coordinating studio time because back then we didn't have the resources we had now to have state-of-the-art recording equipment in, you know, in a room at our home. We actually had to go to a professional studio that charges anywhere from 100 to $300 an hour. So we would pre, we would do pre-production at the house with our drum machines and whatnot, but then to lay it down and have the rappers record their vocals and lay it down right, you had to do that in the big studio. So I always had to collect money from the members of the group and we all went to school together. So it, it became a thing that, uh, you know, they'd be hanging out in one spot. And when I was coming up, like walking towards them, they knew that I was going to ask them for $20. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> now I know the true yeah. story. <laughs> So they started calling me DJ $20 for that reason. Because uh, every time, you know, they, they'd see me coming, they knew it. They say, you have that look right now. We know you're going to collect some money. So it, it was a joke, obviously, but it stuck. And it's like, it's not, yeah. it wasn't a self-anointed uh, nickname that I gave myself. You know, in hindsight, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. I mean, because it doesn't have the word DJ in it. And because that kind of limits you. You know, nowadays, like there's a certain stereotype with 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 saying you're a DJ. I I don't even tell people I DJ. People that know or that want to know will ask, right? Yeah. I'm not going around telling people, oh, by the way, I do this and I do that. They don't care, really. They they don't they don't really care. The people that care are gonna ask regardless, or they'll seek you out. Um, there's an audience for everything. So I've 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 I realized that a long time ago. Uh, but in the, in getting credits for production and original work, you know, it's also good to not have the name DJ on there. Cause some people just, oh, this is just a DJ making beats too. Or, you know, it, it, it depends on who's looking at it, but I think the name is a little bit more marketable in many different subcategories of the music industry, which I happen to dabble in a lot. Yeah. Uh, my end goal is to do the sound engineering thing on a regular basis because, you know, there's a shelf life for, um, you know, I've never wanted to be a rapper. I don't care about being front and center on the stage. Um, 
I have done some shows recently where I'm actually on stage, but as far as being like an attraction, you gotta be realistic. You know, it's, it's a young person's game and behind every successful album, there's a, uh, there's a middle-aged white guy that mixed <laughs> and mastered it. And you, you know what he's doing? He's doing the next person's album and the next person and the next person and the next person. And he's just getting better and better at what he does, which is making music sound as good as it can possibly sound. Uh, or, or taking the artist's vision of what sound they're, they're, they're seeking. You know, they, they could be talented at playing the instruments, but if they're trying to convey a certain vibe, it, it's further than just knowing how to play certain chords. You got to know how to record them in uh, certain techniques and how to mix them to where when the average consumer listens to them, they, they interpret a vibe. And uh, that's hard to explain or for, uh, or for people not in the industry to, uh, not necessarily industry, but not in music itself to comprehend. Uh, it's kind of like a painter trying to describe his technique with uh, why he uses certain brushes on certain types of canvas. It's like, I don't care as long as it looks good, right? <laughs> yeah. what, What's the finished product? Tell me. <laughs> correct. But there's a lot that goes into it, just like right. a show. You know, yeah. we, music is, is there's a lot of parallels with uh, music production and, and, uh, and the culinary arts. You could give producer X the same sounds and the same equipment, just like you could give a certain chef the same ingredients and the same stove and the same pans and all the same equipment and and you give it to someone else and they're going to interpret they're going to make something different because right. it's all on the technique and that's where right. the 10,000 hours come into play yeah. you know you know you know when to uh you know the chef knows that okay if i want this certain taste i don't put the garlic in until this point and i gotta right. let it sit right. on this pan for this long and then i put it in here and if i do same thing with music yeah. It's not yeah. just it's it's it sounds like it's like cookie cutter stuff, but it's not. There's a lot no. of there's a lot of seasoning that goes in there and you gotta have the experience to do it. Absolutely. So, you know, as you were talking about technique, I, I started going back and thinking like, okay, when you started off, we had records, we had cassettes, and then we moved into CDs. Now we I mean, from the novice perspective, we don't use any of that stuff anymore. Right. Like, I'm sure there was a huge learning curve with that, was there? Well, no, the, it's not so much a learning curve, but it actually did affect the industry as a whole, not just like with DJing, but um, I would, if I was a successful like recording artist in the late 90s, early 2000s, I would be very unhappy. <laughs> that's, that was a transition <laughs> yeah that that's a that was a transition era where everything went from from a, a physical to virtual yeah and yeah. when that happens um you know you're taking money it, these people are doing art and they're making a living off their art and there's only so many ways that they were able to monetize their art during that time frame so when that gets taken away um by you know at the time napster and limewire and all that stuff which by the way was just horrible quality not only was it i mean even the best quality mp3 which is kind of what you have access to nowadays um 
from an audiophile standpoint, it doesn't sound as good as what we hear in the studio. Um, but the the compression levels that were taking place back in those days just to maximize you know bandwidth and and storage on on the limited computers during that era it just it just squeezed the life out of every song and you know i till this day i still purge my computer out of you know i'm, I'm still going and and deleting stuff that's not up to a certain level of quality as far as the uh the uh the kilobytes i mean you know when you're listening to an album, a lot of people, I'm not one of those get off my lawn. If it's not on vinyl, it doesn't sound good at all. Vinyl has a certain characteristic. It does have character. It sounds warmer, uh, but that doesn't necessarily make every genre sound better. There's certain genres mm -hmm. of music that, that, you know, if you're playing an old jazz record or some old school hip hop, you know, it kind of does add to the vibe and you put it on and you let it play and you're not, you know, there's benefits to that. It sounds better. You let it play. You might discover certain songs that you weren't looking for, but because you had to play it and you walked away from it and did something else, you caught that song. Nowadays, you're just skipping, skipping. If it doesn't grab you in the first two seconds, you go to the next, right? It's rare yeah. that you actually yeah. listen to a, a song and give it a chance. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, there's so like. I think our society in general is all about instant gratification. So if it doesn't grab you right away, it's like right. you move forward. You just skip over, which right. is kind of sucks. At least I can say that because, you know, we grew up in the same mindset, the same kind of way of like back then, 80s were very different. We didn't have access to all this information. We didn't even have computers, to be quite honest. Right. So like it was a slower pace. It was so um, like you were able to digest the yeah. period. Now it's like you're just swallowing and <laughs> not yeah, even well, digesting. Boom, and even and if you swallow it fast, like you're all, you're you're hungry again for something else. Yeah, yeah. You come, you go. But again, there's but there's also pros. There's 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 a bad just like social media it has its merits and it has its bad side. But the good thing about technology now that is that. If I like even what I'm doing now, when I'm if I'm doing a, if I'm creating a new song or I'm working on a remix for someone, there's a process of of checking um, what it's sounding like. Like once I have the composition done and I and I want to get into the to this mixing and mastering part where you want to make it sound good, you have to reference it in different uh, mediums. You have to see how it sounds in the car. Does that translate to the Bluetooth speaker? Uh, am I missing anything when I put it on headphones or when I play it on the TV Bluetooth or, you know, so you got to dial all that stuff in. And in the past, you really couldn't do that. You just had to nail it. And it was, it is what it is. Now you could actually play that WAV file and access it in any of those uh, situations and uh, scenarios and, and actually uh, get a better, get a better feel. And like, you could do it so much faster. Right. Like I, I did it this morning. I was running late to work and there was something <laughs> I was working on yesterday. And I'm like, if I don't get to check it in the car on my way to work, you know, when I do my critical listening with fresh ears, yeah. or whatever I worked on the night before, uh, I don't want to lose another day. And cause I have a deadline too, which when, when I got to turn it in by, and, uh, I was able to transfer it to my Dropbox account or make the little tweak on the actual session in like 10 minutes 
and transfer it to my Dropbox. And by the time I was commuting to work, I was listening. I wouldn't be able to do that, you know, even 10 years ago. Right. You know, you would have to, at the very least, put it on a CD. But then the CD medium doesn't translate to to vinyl or so. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to having the technology evolve to what it is. But with anything, when you get when some when the barrier to entry uh, is no longer there, um, it just the whole industry as a, as a whole gets saturated with a bunch of mediocre stuff. So in an era where it's so much easier to consume and find music, it's actually harder to find the good stuff because there's so much more, uh, there's so much more crap just covering <laughs> it. <laughs> there is, I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's like, it's like anything. It's like, as soon as, you know, certain industries, okay, so the industry that I, that I, uh, my main gig is obviously I work in the stone industry. We make uh, chemicals for polishing uh, stone and concrete all the machines to do all the nice shiny concrete floors, it's, it's like a $50,000 to a hundred thousand dollar investment. Mm -hmm. So there's only so many people in the world that have the means to be able to get into that business, right. To get right. that equipment. Yeah. Now, if you only needed a $1,000 machine to do that <laughs> same job, how many more people would be bidding for those jobs? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of the same thing with music. Uh, just because you have the access to the software and the uh, hell, they have they have websites now where they have like sounds already categorized by key, and uh, which which I'm not knocking that stuff, but it adds to the uh, to the mediocrity of of uh, of uh, the overall quality that we're seeing. You know, a lot it's too when something is too easy, people get lazy. And yeah. when people get lazy, it shows. Yeah, yeah. And so, especially to someone who is an expert like yourself. Like you catch on to those uh, those uh, bad tunes, if you will, right away. Like for the yeah. novice person like myself, I'd probably be like, oh, you know. But then if you really pay attention, then you then you see, oh. wait a minute, there is something here. Yeah, with that, yeah. That's that's one part of it too, but the other part, and I was just talking about this with uh, with one of my friends recently. When you, someone could compose, write, and record a great song, but if it doesn't sound from a sonic standpoint, if the engineer doesn't make it sound good, the average listener is gonna tune out because they don't know why they they're just saying ah the song is whatever. But it's not that. It's not that. It's not that it's a great that it's great material. It's that the packaging is not pleasing to the ear, and you're subconsciously going to tune it out. Whereas you can have a mediocre song that can be put together by anyone by someone with the talent level of my ten year old, and but if it sounds good, you're going to give it more. You, you may end up liking it just because yeah. you like the sonics. And a lot of people don't think of that, so. The quality of the sound, and I'm not saying that, like make it sound as shiny because if, if anything, I spend a lot of time trying to make the stuff sound dirtier and more organic than it. And there's an art to that uh -huh. too. It's it's not just uh, you know if anyone anyone who dabbles in even video editing, 
you know, you can't just throw a filter that makes it look like a VCR and say, oh, look, look at my vintage style recording. <laughs> you know, it looks, it totally looks like you just bought that filter and put it as an overlay over your video. And that's, that's corny. Uh, you know, you want to make it as, as organic as possible. And, and uh, a lot of them are happy mistakes. And hopefully that I'm able to, you know, duplicate if, you know, every job is different. Every song it requires different, uh, different critical listening to see what it what it could use but at the end of the day it's again it's like when you're when you're trying to focus on the sound quality itself it's not to make it sound as high fidelity as possible it's just to make the the sounds the the, the message that the artist is trying to convey to actually translate that into a medium where the average listener is going to interpret that as well you know, I can't, yeah. I can't have someone saying, Hey, I want this to sound dark and, and sinister. And then I'm <laughs> over here tweaking the, 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 the highs to the point where it sounds really crispy and bright. Cause that's, yeah. there's nothing sinister about bright. Right. <laughs> no. And that's yeah. what it comes down to. And we're getting a little, a little bit into too many, too much detail of that, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of yeah. work. But it's it's stuff that you have to be passionate about it. Um, it's it's uh, you know I wish I would I could scale back some of some of the uh, thoughts that I get when I, when I listen to stuff because I, I like to step back sometimes and just listen to music from a just from a fan standpoint, not like oh, yeah, how did you get that kick. Oh, how did he do that? It's mm -hmm. like and I catch myself doing that all the time instead of just absorbing and yeah. enjoying the product itself because again it's art it's someone's it, it, it's someone's vision it's someone's feeling it's someone ex, someone's experience and uh and it's it's there's so much of it out there and the more you expose yourself to it the the you know the better it is i mean that's that's what life is about yeah oh my goodness i didn't realize there was so much to this <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I could, you could write uh, a dissertation. <laughs> uh, no, there's so much. I mean, I glanced over so much stuff too. It's, it's, uh, but it's like anything. It's like, I had a, going back to the, uh, your question was about like, like the differences between the mediums now, which was CDs and vinyl and cassette back then. And now it's all digital. I actually lost interest, not interest, but it was um the passion for djing like was not mm -hmm. there in the early like the late 90s like 99 98 99 i was just so burnt out from you know from the club scene from the way promoters were like not not on point with paying djs on time or uh, just so many things where i was just over it i had been doing you know i had been involved with it for so long and I was, I was also at a stage in my life where it's like, okay, what's next? You know, not that I was lacking motivation, but sometimes when people, it's easy to, in hindsight to say, oh, this is what I wanted to do <laughs> in my twenties. Yeah. We've all been in our twenties, right? And we know sometimes you, you could say you want to do this, but you, you're kind of navigating the waters and seeing where the current takes you. Right. Right. And, right. uh, and, you know, sometimes the current takes you in the right direction. So I didn't lack motivation, but I just didn't have the guidance. So I, 
like my immediate circle of friends that I see on a regular basis, none, they don't have none of this in common. I have my circle of friends in this side of the world that I, I interact with on a regular basis. Uh, but back then it was just my circle of friends that had nothing to do with this. And I started noticing that, you know what, let's, I'm doing more and more with them. Let's, let's see what they're up to instead of pursuing the opportunities that, that, that I used to gravitate towards when, when it came to music. And so it took a back seat. I never, I never gave it up. I don't want to say I retired from it. Cause I, again, I was only like in my early twenties. Uh, but I always had the turntable set up in my room because it's like a guitar, you know, I like to scratch. So mm-hmm. I would, uh, you know, you just, even if it's for like 10, 15 minutes, it's therapeutic to me. So mm-hmm. um, I had that. And this was before Serato and I won't get into the details of that. Uh, but Serato is basically the software that required that made us not have to carry all this stuff around. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you can yeah. still play on, you still play on turntables, but instead of having to change the record, every song, your uh your your computer is connected to your mixer and the time coded vinyl is reading your mp3s so you're still controlling and manipulating the sound the same way in the same fashion as as you would in the analog world with with a vinyl record but instead of having to lug around you know hundreds of pounds of records uh and risk you know and taking care of them and hoping no one steals them and all that stuff so when the advent of Serato came about, it was a, it took a backseat in 1999. I met my now wife in late 99, early 2000, and we started dating. And I, I again, even back then, I was like, "Oh, I DJ." No, I, I, I you know, if anything, I was embarrassed to say I didn't want to be stereotyped mm-hmm. as in like any negative stereotypes that came along with that. I just, you know, that that was it. But when she came over the house, she saw that I had my stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I do that. So I kind of downplayed it. I may have downplayed it a little too much because when Serato came out <laughs> in 2003 and uh, I got a call from one of my good friends who uh, is a uh, he's a radio station DJ out in Vegas, but he was living out here back then. They were doing an Internet radio show called Circuit Radio. And I remember getting the call. I was in the parking lot at the gym. Uh, this is how much, how dedicated I was to working out back then. I used to go, I used to do two a days. I would work out, <laughs> I would work out at two o'clock with my weight regimen, go home, eat and come back to the gym at seven o'clock and play basketball. Like I had a routine and, and, you know, I had wow. the time to do it. Yeah. So I remember getting the call saying, Hey, um, we're doing an internet show. You should come down. And, uh, you know, long story short, I ended up going down. And that's when they introduced me to Serato, which is a software that had just came out. And uh, that kind of reignited my, you know, the fire to continue to, uh, I got back into making actual mixtapes. And that's one of the things that, that, yes, I'm focused on production and the sound engineering part of it. But my passion has always been putting together mixtapes. Mixtapes are at least the ones that I do, I put a lot of time, effort and preparation into just presenting that they're all packaged. And, and, you know, I you know. And we can purchase to... that online, right? We could get it off of you know, uh, of... SoundCloud or, yeah, or a lot of the mix where tapes, can we find it? The, the mixtapes are there mainly, they're all for promotional purposes. 
uh, I, there was an era when I was actually making physical CDs and actually selling them. I had a distributor network, a distribution network where, where I was passing them out. But now when everything became easy to access or, or you know, you could sell one CD and that guy's going to post it on, on somewhere online and then everyone was just going to get it. So it, that kind of, you know, that was one of the bad things of, of uh, one of the downfalls of, uh, of technology progressing to where it is. Um, but, you know, I still, to this day, I'm, I'm all for artists getting their money. Like whoever created the songs, the tunes, they, 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 you know, they need to get their money when mixtape D when DJs make a mixtape, at least the way I would make it, I would never play the entire song. And that was just my style. I was just like to keep it moving. And I always like to, would get creative to where I would, you know, switch the beat up and leave their lyrics over a different beat. And there was always something going on, but I was never, i never felt that I was taking anything away from the actual artist. It's not like I was just pressing play, pressing play on their one song that someone is now going to get for me and then not buy from mm -hmm. iTunes because I had it on a mixtape. No, if anything, I was promoting their song, presenting a snippet of it in, in a certain manner that they, it would, you know, hit them to like, Hey, I like this. Uh -huh. and right yeah. when they start and then i would switch it up to the next thing and then like you know what i like that so i'm gonna go buy it so and that's just not me a lot of djs that actually do mixtapes that was that that was our biggest gripe with soundcloud when they started taking down a lot of mixes it's like this is promo we're helping the labels right. this is free promotion yeah we're promoting our skills yeah but we're we're uh we're not we're not getting any, we're not taking any money from you. Right, right, right. You're not, yeah. you're not getting money as a label because you're still comparing the business model in 2010 to what it was in 1997. And it's a whole new era. You guys got to figure out how to monetize your, you know, your existing and new catalogs and how to pay your artists. But so a lot of stuff got started getting taken down. Fortunately for me, most of my mixes weren't, and again, one of the reasons is because I, I, they're not just like one song after another. There's like a whole lot of things going on. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I I I love um, your beats, rhymes, and wine. Like your your mixtapes of that, I love. Yeah, that's, um, I, that's yeah, that's uh, we're we're uh, yeah, we're we're like 22, 22 editions or volumes into that one. Yeah, that's, uh, no. yeah. I, I love. I'm due for one. I haven't done one in over a year, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a very busy man, and I think that's you know part of the the problem, or probably the the benefit that you are busy, right? Like, so. Yeah. Well, that's, but that's but if your passion is music and doing this, it's it gets a little tricky. You know. Yeah, there's there's balance. You know, obviously, I'm a family man too, and it's it's tough when you have a demanding. I love my job. Don't get me wrong. It's it's uh your day job. We're talking yes. about your day job. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And the other good thing about technology is what is that it also enabled me to actually take advantage of I don't want to sound like uh to take advantage of what I had acquired and the skill set the skill set that I had acquired over the years and the talents and actually be able to do something with it. So um, yes, while there was a learning curve as far as 
um, how to, uh, you know, there, there was a point where I was just making mixtapes and it's like, whoever wanted to hear them, they would hear them. And, you know, I made money off of them for a while, but then when that went away, I, I still found myself going back to doing that because that was my, you know, guys like to go fishing guys like to go drinking to a bar. Not that I don't like going drinking to a bar, but if I had free time, I would be, I would come into the studio and I would work on stuff because there's just so much stuff that comes through that, that I come up with in my mind that there aren't enough hours in the day for me to actually just lay it down. So yeah, yeah. I'm always going to do that. And I've always been like that. And, but fortunately it got to the point where I stopped. And I think this, this, this kind of has parallels with, in, in general, with, with the business mentality. I'm always conscious of drawing the line you know you, you you're not going to be especially in music or in any art form if you're doing it for the money you're doing it for the wrong reason in sales you sell a you don't sell a product right when you're selling yourself you're not selling you your physical you you're selling the value that you bring to some to your customer right that's mm -hmm. that's you know when people understand that and and you change your approach with that philosophy your things are going to change so in growing up and being like submersed in that world where it's all it's very ego driven and like i'm better than this guy oh i know i'm better it's like yeah yeah i'm better than you this and that it's like that could only take you so far because there's no there's no way to monetize that that's just a, an ego thing it's mm -hmm. like you're, you're you're patting yourself on the back so fortunately for me i i've surrounded myself uh over the years with with guys who had their head on straight when it came to to networking and i embraced the whole networking part of it and i understand that from the people that aren't in the business of networking that it sounds very cliche but i'm sure you can attest to it that it's you out of sight out of mind so you gotta mm -hmm. be there mingling it's there's it's not it's not kissing up or anything no, like that. You there's an art form there's an art right. form to networking yes and so, you know, I, I started, I started thinking, I was like, okay, well, I do, I'm, I'm the VP of marketing and sales for my company. And I know what works in that world. Let me just apply some of that stuff to what I'm doing here. And yeah, you know what? We're always talking about stop selling the product, but sell its features and benefits. You know, how do, how does that translate to what I do? So I started embracing that and I started aligning myself with, uh, I'm good at making these little videos that I do for myself, uh, especially when, when social media started, you know, becoming and becoming more predominant in everyone's life. Um, that's when, uh, you know, I was, okay, let me, let me back up a little bit. So with Serato, instead of having to buy these records or get these records for free and having to have double copies, of each song with Serato, you could actually take one of these records and make it more DJ friendly by, you know, doing some of my, you know, basic production and adding something to the front and to the end of the song. So in that world, they're called edits. And uh, I was doing a lot of edits for myself. I'm like, well, these edits for myself are great, but there's only one of me to go around and, and play these, these songs. So, that's when the uh, Beat Junkies record pool was came out like in uh, early the 2014, I believe. And I started sending them some of the some of the material that I had. I had a lot of uh, 
you know, what you would call content creation, but I had a catalog of stuff that I was sending their way. And I used, I not used, but I took advantage of their, you know, they're, they're a very national, internationally known group of collective of DJs that to this day have, are doing so much uh, in the, in the, uh, in this world where, um, when they came out with their record pool, being associated with that was just, which is, you know, it had its own merits. And uh, it, it is publicity on my end because they have a lot of eyeballs that go onto that site. Mm -hmm. And so I started uh, submitting a lot of my work over to, to, uh, to that platform. And from that, I started getting more recognition, not just locally, but not just nationally either like one of my good friends that i collaborate on a regular basis is based in toronto canada yeah. um uh, i'm dealing with some guy in berlin on a regular basis too so that kind of started um kind of what i'm doing now which is work that i had done for myself i started making it available just for everyone because again they're not they weren't original recordings they're just songs that you may already be familiar with but they were just made, uh, they were tailor-made for DJs to be able to mix them and do whatever they want with them from a creative standpoint. So I started doing little videos that I would use on, on Instagram to uh, promote the record pool and uh, as well as my songs that are on their record pool. And that started getting me more, more recognition. Then I started getting work for the videos. I started getting work for like, hey, we need some edits uh for our catalog for this artist um you know and that led to getting more my my current relationship with my partner bombardo ba based out of uh cleveland ohio it's our it's a production duo that we have so we do our own production on our own but we also have a collective called 12 hondos and uh we we do a lot of clips and remixes and uh we just put out our seven inch final a couple a uh, couple weeks ago it came out it was a long time coming we've been we've been <laughs> trying to do that for a while and we were fortunate enough to be approached by uh by a record label and a beat squeeze records out in uh in, in paris and uh you know they made it happen so it's kind of open a lot of stuff a lot of the seeds that were planted back in you know the early the 2010s you know it takes time but if you keep doing it eventually something's going to bear fruit and uh anything you do you have to uh you, you have to be all in and we kind of talked about this earlier mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. it's uh you can't in this era of instant gratification you're not just instant gratification uh everyone wants instant validation from others too and and that's yeah. like the biggest recipe for failure it's like don't expect results right away everything it's it's it sounds cliche and it sounds like the old man sitting on the get off my lawn right like it's gonna take time <laughs> keep working at it you'll get it yeah but it's true it's true and and i i've never been one that yes you appreciate support and recognition from peers more so than anything um uh and from from anyone in general but you know if if you have say a, a producer that you look up to and he happens to say hey i heard such and such on on this show good job that's that that means the world you know what i mean mm -hmm. in that world yeah 
Yeah. Uh, there's a difference between a yes man saying, hey, man, yeah, your shit is hot. You know, like, yeah, yeah, when's the next one coming up? So there's, there's, there's a lot of that, but I've never been one to need validation from others to, I guess, to have belief and, 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 and confidence in what I'm doing and what I'm trying to achieve. So I think that that's, uh, if, if there was something that I can tell, like a lot of people trying to get into the game nowadays is to like, don't worry about what, what, what others are going to think because you're going to suck for a long time. Even if you're good, <laughs> you're going to suck in your, to your standards. Like I look back at some of the early productions that I, some stuff that I've done, like even like five years ago and I'm like, Ooh, that I could have done this better. But the flip side to that though, is that you, you track your progress and you see how much, how many, how many strides you've taken and become better over time. So if you're able to see that in, in, in the micro, you know, the, the longer, the more time goes by and you stay on that path, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at and where I'm going. It's uh, obviously we all want more as human beings, but I can't complain. Yeah. It's, I'm yeah. fortunate enough to be, you know, I'm in my mid forties and I, I still have, you know, I never would have thought that as a father, <laughs> Uh, of two grown boys and married uh that 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 i'd still have the time or want to carve out the time to do what i've loved to do since 1987 yeah yeah i think that um when you have a passion and you know your why it's just it's going to keep you going you know and and it's cool that you actually learned that when you were in fourth grade that that this was for you and it served you well and you've been able to monetize as a result of your passion because that's ultimately I think we all want is to be able to live off of our gifts and talents and in your case is in music production and and you're making money with that making these contacts having big big known producers make comments on your on your work which is something that is um, uh, super important. And, um, and I feel like, you know, I'm so happy to know you before you get really, really famous. <laughs> I'm glad that, that, that I, I know $20 Julio. <laughs> right. I said, I don't want to be like, I, I don't care about being famous. I, you know, who, and I, who was I talking about this? when when i used to look at the in the back we always i always read these credits okay like everything i bought that's actually what's lacking nowadays no one reads the credits and when you buy something like this yeah and you spend 13 dollars on an album back then now it's probably like 20 dollars like you're listening to it at home and you're reading this the one common denominator was always mastering by big bass brian so when we get off of here, go YouTube or Google Big Bass Brian, and you'll see what I mean. Because this guy was credited with pretty much everything that I would buy during that era. And that has been my, no one knows what that guy looks like unless you seek him out, but that's the type of fame I want. Big Bass Brian, we got to take a look at him and yes. see what he's been doing, like what he's done. 
um, and know that that's that's where you want to be. That that's you want to be like big base Brian, like be yes. one of the product. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're gonna take a look at that. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't famous, but he's infamous. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right? There's a difference. There's a, yeah. and you know what? I, I think it's probably it's probably best just to be infamous and not famous because it's like it's almost like a secret society. Right. Like, you know, it's like only those that know really know. Right. <laughs> well, Julio, I think we've been on here. I'm so excited. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, I, you know, I always ask my guests and I know, you know, I, I always like to learn from, from men, a male perspective. I mean, I'm always asking women like, oh, give me the tips on how an amiga can handle her shit. But for on a male perspective, it's nice to know, you know, what a man, what do men see when they say, oh man, she's handling her shit. Like what qualities do you see in a woman? Well, I don't have to look far. I mean, my wife is a go-getter. She, uh, you know, she's worked in the corporate world. When I first met her, she, and she was climbing the corporate ladder and she had the, the, the princes of presence of mind to actually make the change. And she just said, you know what? I, I, I like this you know, but I want to do this. Her passion has always been hair. So she made the switch and, uh, you know, it wasn't a switch that she made because she had no other choice or it was forced upon her. Something, so she went for it. So it's kind of like, you know, that, that strive to just, okay, I, I, I want to do good, but I want to do good by doing something I enjoy to do. Right. Yeah. And again, that sounds cliche. So she, at an early age, I saw that like early in our relationship, and then to to nowadays, it's like, um, you know, with the skincare or her now having her own suite, it's it's uh, she's constantly. There's times where, you know, I could be a little bit of a pain in the ass when I get home from work. Oh, come off it! Come off like, it! Are you, are you, why are you, why are you on the phone again? I'm like, I'm working, and then it's like, and she is, you know. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's it's perception from external perception right yeah right so she she's always looking for ways to get better like me she's always uh um i didn't touch on that earlier but yeah i don't rest on on experience is great but if the the minute you stop trying to learn the new techniques or not embrace new technology you're going to be left way behind and that's something i didn't actually specifically mention but that was very that was very important and a very a critical turning point in like 2003 2004 when Serato came out because there was even I was still hesitant to like like you know what I don't that's cheating or that's not that's not real DJing it's like you gotta let all that stuff slide it's like embrace yeah, like it that, leave it, that shit alone <laughs> yeah this is it's like it's like saying I still want to type on a typewriter after a computer right <laughs> that's basically what it is right right so yeah, you gotta so you gotta she, move so, with the time. <laughs> yeah, so so my wife has has done a good a, a great job of just uh, she just has that inner what's next what's next and how can I make money, um, you know, we're not driven by money but we're motivated by money. <laughs> there's a difference, right? <laughs> so, hey, you know, but the, there's nothing wrong with that though. There's nothing that, wrong and, with that. But yeah, making money. Having money, 
I, in my opinion, it's all good. It's all good. You know, it pays the bills. It makes, it makes your life comfortable. That's what it is. You know, it can really make your life comfortable. And so, yeah, why not? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't, money doesn't make you happy, but not having money definitely will make you unhappy, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It will make you unhappy (laughs) because it's going to give, it's going to cause havoc. It's going to cause anxiety. It's going to cause stress. Um, I mean, all these other forces, right? No, but there's also, as far as like, at least from my perspective, as far as uh, I support my wife as much as I can, um, she, just like you asked me about my parents, did they support me at an early age? They did. Um, Support is a very vague uh, description or word, like, because there's many different levels to it. Like you can have support from your friends, whether it's monetary or, or emotional, or there's just different levels to it. So those 10,000 hours that I'm putting in here, there could be times when there's a deadline and, you know, I could be preaching balance in life and kids and family life and doing this. But if you're looking at a small snapshot on any given week, there could be a week where I'm just consumed in one facet of this where from someone from the outside looking in could just think that oh like oh that's all he's doing he's not even doing anything with the kids or no 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 that's just you got to do that like it's when you look look at the averages over a longer period of time um where you realize that if you didn't do those things then certain other things wouldn't play out as, as a result of dedicating those spurts right and having the patience, the support from my wife for her to be able to, you know, to, to withstand that. <laughs> and because uh, I, I could see, you know, I'm not, I'm not naive. I understand that there's, there's times where hey, we, we should take the kids over here. I'm like, I got to finish this. And it's not all the time, <laughs> but when it does happen, yeah. it's like yeah. she, she's very supportive in that sense. So I'm, I'm aware of that. I, she never hears any bleep for me when it comes to her her catching up on uh, any training she has to do to get certified, to get to, you know, whatever she's doing. So she's, she's always learning new techniques because she wants to be on the cutting edge of what's next. And you got to do that. There's, there's similarities with what I do here. I'm always, um, you know, getting the latest plugins or whatnot to, to make sure that I'm not being left behind because, you know, I don't know if big base Brian is still doing something, but (laughs) You know, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. <laughs> and if he's not, it's because he didn't get with the times, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You really do have to get with the times. And, and um, you know, thank you so much, Julio, because, I mean, these, not only your tips, but just your infinite wealth of knowledge when it comes to music. And um, and I'm, I'm hoping that whatever, if any amiga out there that is listening to this, gets inspired that maybe they want to be a part of this music. Maybe they want to start DJing. Maybe they want to be an engin- sound engineer. And and I hope that they they look to this episode and then look at you and then they and then they think of you as a big bass Brian. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well thank you for the kind words. But yeah that, that's a, I'm a long way away from that. But but oh, yeah no 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 we love I'm sh- I love, I love, uh, there's a lot of uh, young guys in the game that 
you know, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but there's a lot of young guys in the game that come up to me all the time. And they're like, man, you're, you got not just me, but me and like my immediate circle of, of like CO1. It's like, we're, we're not the old bitter, the old bitter guys that are hating on the youngsters. We're actually giving good advice. We embrace and we take people under our wing and say, do it this way. Like, let me show you this. And, uh, and I love doing that. The, the satisfaction that comes out of seeing someone that you've kind of helped out mm-hmm. um, over the years. And when you see them kind of like fly on their own and then they look back and like, like we know it's like a, it's like a, a like an unwritten code. It's so yeah. that that's yeah. very, very satisfying. Yeah. 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 I can imagine. I can imagine. I mean, I feel the same way too. When like, for instance, like just in, like these kids that want to be lawyers or want to be these mentors and inspirational coaches and whatnot. And you look back and you see, I'm like, yeah, you know, I was there once before and I, I did not, um, I wasn't doing that by myself. I had mentorships and I had people telling me what to do, what's next. Can you imagine trying to do this stuff on your own and not having any, any mentorship or leadership in it? Yeah, and, it it, and it takes a lot for a, for a young mind to be actually have the the confidence or the guts to ask for help. It's like, you know, how there's, there's a saying where we're well, not saying like, I know guys who would see a successful guy, like say sitting on a plane with his nice Rolex and, you know, you could tell he's successful and that some people would be like, look at this guy. Someone like me would be like, let me go sit next to him and pick his brain, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Like, right. You know, why be jealous or you know, or critical or anything like that? Quite the contrary. It's a mirror of where you want to be. Right. So it's you know, but you can't. uh, We can't all think the same, but you could only surround yourself with like-minded individuals, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Amen to that. That's what I say all the time. Well, thank you so much, Julio, for spending some time here with me and here at Omega Handle Your Shit podcast. Um, I this is we we could have stayed here on on this podcast for a long time, but I know that um, you got to get back to your work and I got to get to my work, and so we yeah. can do a, we can do episode number two. Yeah, we'll do the remix soon. Woohoo! Yes, <laughs> I love it. All right. No, well, thanks for thank having you. me. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. I pre- that's it was a good time. It didn't yes, even seem absolutely. like an hour and twenty minutes, <laughs> <laughs> which thank will probably you. be chopped down by your uh, editing crew. Uh, but, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Probably the the static pro- the static yeah. parts. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic evening, and um, can't wait to see you and and Fanya. Um, uh, soon, I hope. Yeah, we definitely have to make carve some time out, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. 
Gracias y hasta la próxima.